Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran former law enforcement officer and founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you very much for that uh, kind introduction. And welcome to the people that are here uh, live with us. Also, welcome to the people who are tuning in. We had a bunch of folks tune in last week. I was stunned because I didn't really market it mostly because I have no idea how to market it. So if any of you listeners have an idea how to market it and you just stumbled upon it, please send me an email at sean at drshawngreener.com, D-R-S-H-A-W-N-G-R-E-E-N-E-R.com. Also, um, go to www.drshawngreener.com. That's where you can listen to messages. But what you really want to do, two points. Awesome job, Steve. Um, what you really want to do is you really, really, really want to go to the Blog Talk Radio site where you are now. Go to the main page. Uh, it's just blogtalkradio.com backslash the ninja pastor and subscribe. Subscribe. That's the key. Subscriptions make the difference. Even if you're going to be here live, go on there and subscribe because you'll get reminders and everything. And the other cool thing is is that you'll be able to quick link it out to your friends via email and whatever social media you ever use. We have great food here. I mentioned it last week. There's two things people asked me about in all the messages I received. They said, are you guys really eating? And yes, there are people eating right now, and it's good food. Fried chicken. There's all kinds of slurping and slapping going on. Fried chicken. Somebody brought donuts. Uh, nicely sliced apples, some chocolates. Did I mention the fried chicken? There's a casserole here. There's boiled peanuts. Oh, man, that's some sort of sauerkraut deal. That's, that sounds really good, and it smells good. Mm. So you're missing out. So if you're in the Delaware, Maryland, or Pennsylvania area, this is very, very close. It's right near Hocuston, Newark line, so it's easy to get. It's a fun. This is a blast of a group. So last week we talked, we've been talking about, so if you are, and any of you, that goes for you guys here too, if any of you have missed a, a message They've been uploaded now to Blog Talk Radio. So once you subscribe, you can just go right in there and listen to whatever message you want. It's free of charge. No cost or obligation to you. No free Gensu knives if you subscribe. So according to Paul, what spiritual gifts should be preferred to tongue speaking and why is this the case? This is continuing in the study that we have been doing about 1 Corinthians. We're going to do 2 Corinthians, and then after we do 2 Corinthians, what are we doing? Uh, there is no third Corinthians, thank you, school teacher Sue. Uh, so uh, we're going to do Thessalonians. So that'll be fun. And there's a lot of really, really cool stuff to unwrap in Thessalonians. 
And there, um, and after that, I'm working on some pretty controversial stuff. So I know that's a shock. Hey, don't forget to listen to my show tomorrow, by the way, on Mondays at 5:30, 5:30 to 6:30 on Block Talk Radio. Tomorrow's going to be a live show, very lively. So I'm going to read chapter 14 of First Corinthians. However, keep on eagerly seeking the things of the Spirit, and especially seek to be able to prophesy. For someone speaking in a tongue is not speaking to people, but to God, because no one can understand since he is uttering mysteries. Already a caller. Uh, I don't know what to do with the callers, really, on a Sunday show. But, hey, maybe we will take a call. You just never know. Um, Somebody in the audience will pick up their cell phone and call in and go, I have a question. Could I ask a question? Is it Q&A yet? Hey, we have a lively Q&A after this and great music. <clears throat> anyway, here we go. We'll just uh, we'll keep going here. I'll start over because I skipped over stuff and chased a rabbit. However, keep on eagerly seeking the things of the Spirit and especially seek to be able to prophesy. Especially seek to be able to prophesy. For someone speaking in tongue in a tongue is not speaking to people, but to God. Because no one can understand since, well, by the way, since no one can understand and speaking to God, why is it speaking to God since no one can understand? The only one who understands everything is God. Because no one can understand since he is uttering mysteries in the power of the Spirit. Now, let me say this. Paul is not saying it's not real. Paul's not saying it doesn't happen. That's a great shirt, by the way. Community Hope of Delaware, I bet. Newark, Delaware. Eight bucks. Can you believe that? What a great deal. Uh, so, anyway, he's not saying it doesn't happen. He's not saying it's not real. What he's saying is that who are you talking to? When you're in your gathering, this is what we call a kehala. That's what they had then, a kehala. Who are you talking to? Who are you seeking to edify? Oh, I said edify too soon. Because no one can understand since he is uttering mysteries in the power of the Spirit, but someone prophesying is speaking to people, edifying, encouraging, and comforting them. Now, prophecy, we think of from the Old Testament, sometimes the prophecy was really scurry. Scurry. That's how we say it in Sussex County, Delaware. Scurry. It was scurry. I was scurred. Scurry. You're welcome. You're welcome. Free of charge. That's no cost or obligation. Uh, We speak many languages here, mostly redneck. Uh, uttering mysteries in the power of spirit, but someone prophesying and speaking to people, edifying, encouraging, and comforting them. Are prophecies always of doom? No. Sometimes prophecy is this beautiful thing. I believe that prophecy happens today in many respects. I know people that are so in tune with God and so in tune with the Spirit that if they were to tell me something, the person who prophesied, Nancy Flanagan, Wilmington, Delaware, she prophesied, she got a word, and touched by God. The woman didn't know me. And she prophesied into my life, you will preach. She said, you'll preach to oceans of people. You'll speak to oceans of people. So here's the thing. My buddy Dave Peterson, he always, you guys have met him here, drove all the way from Tennessee to come visit us. He, he, that's one thing he hammered home. He said, don't ever let go of that, because that's prophecy. Don't let go of that. Someone spoke a word in your life. You've got to believe on that and work toward that. But someone prophesying is speaking to people 
edifying, encouraging, and comforting them. A person speaking in a tongue does edify himself. But a person prophesying edifies the congregation. I wish you would all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you would all prophesy. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues. What? That's not in there. That's just me. What did I just say? The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues. Who's saying this? The Apostle Shaul or Paul. The Apostle Paul, Shaul is saying this to this group of Corinthian Kehala worshipers. The person, this is a plain speaking dude. Paul speaks plainly. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless someone gives an interpretation so that the congregation can be edified. I'll say more about that later. Brothers and sisters, he doesn't say that, but he would if he knew. Suppose I come to you now speaking in tongues. How can I be of benefit to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge, or prophecy, or teaching. Now, let's unpack that just for a second. Shaul, or Paul, had to come to this Corinthian congregation to bring them revelation, or knowledge, or prophecy, or teaching. One of those. Why? It was early on, folks. There was so much confusion, so much crazy chaos, so many wild things happened. They, many of those people experienced, they were still alive, and experienced Yeshua Hamashiach being murdered, tortured and murdered, put on a cross, being put in a borrowed tomb, and raising the third day, and then appearing to all these some of, some of these people who were there, knew 500 people, and, and many of them, but not all of them, followed him. People say, well, I need a sign. If only I had a sign. God, if you would just be... If you would make yourself real to me, if you would just show me a sign, then I would follow you. Uh, That doesn't follow. That does not follow. Because the reality of it is, is sometimes we have miracles happen in our lives, and we don't see it as God. Adonai Elohim. We don't look at at it and we don't say, that's Hashem. That's God doing this. He has moved. I'm watching a. Thank you so much for that video. I'm thank so thankful I could finally watch it. There's this video that some folks here uh, lent to me to watch. That it's been probably two months. I've had this thing trying to watch it. I use a certain brand of computer and it has some coding and blah 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 and yada yada. And so people at the Apple Store now you know what kind of computer it is. Put a little code in my computer. Did some little thing, some magic foo foo dust. They healed my computer, um, and now I could watch it. And it's all these miracles around the formation of Israel, the, the, the young nation of Israel, and it's absolutely astounding. And I'm actually going to write a sermon, probably three sermons, because I go on a little bit, um, uh, based on this, on the prophecy. A lot of it I knew, or a lot of the things, the miracles that happened. A lot of this stuff I knew, but to see it dramatized, Dramatized. I say drama just for the drama purposes, but dramatized is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Anyway, that has nothing to do except for listen to what Shaul says. How can I be of benefit? 
How can I be of benefit? That's important. Those three words, be of benefit. How many times have you gone into a church setting? Bless you. How many times have you gone into a church setting and all you hear is negative? All you hear is hopelessness. All you hear is beating down. I call it the religious Rottweilers, right? You've heard me say that term before. The religious Rottweilers tell you you don't measure up. You don't, we were just talking before about this biker church. There's a freedom, what is it called? First State Delaware Biker Church. Bless you. So, so pray for me. There's a bunch of people sneezing. Lord, keep the germs off of me. Uh, anyway, anyway. So, so there's a lot of people who, you know, you look a certain way. You go into a church, you're going to get looks. Now, there's some places in the country that are more so than that. Uh, it's it's more profound than that. Let me just say this: we're in the Northeast, but I'm going to tell you, a lot of people think the South is that way. I'm not finding that to be the case. I'm finding the Northeast to be the hardest place to be a new person to walk into a church. There's not that hospitality. There's not that welcoming. You know, now in the South, what you might get, if you came in looking a little scraggly, uh, you might get a fellow, one of the deacons, probably the chairman of deacons, come up to you and say, well, I love your outfit. I love how you come. You know, the Lord accepts you all just the way you are for now till he changes you. We'll help you with that. We'll help change you. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know, some folks are not so nice, and they're not of such benefit. Sometimes you need that. Truth be told, we know that. Sometimes we've got to be told things. I have to be told things. Sometimes I have to learn stuff. I have to learn that, look, you know, it is what I'm teaching and is what I'm preaching of benefit to you. First to the Kehala, here, my people, my family, and then, again, my favorite audience, and then to the, the, the audience out there, it's true, it's absolutely true, the audience out there that's listening on the airwaves and when I travel and speak, is it of benefit to them? I have a big speech coming up in April, and, and I've got to ask myself, these are, these are young college kids, they're successful, all uh, fraternity and sorority, professional fraternity, and it's Greek too, but... Most of what it's about is the professional sororities and, and fraternities. And these are go-getters. I mean, these are people that want to be successful in life, and they've chosen a certain path to, to help them achieve that. And I've got to think to myself, when I go, am I going to be of benefit to them? Can it always be t- ear-tickling? No. In fact, it probably shouldn't always be ear-tickling because sometimes when we be of benefit, it doesn't mean can I say something positive, believe for this or that? No, sometimes it's, I can be of best benefit when I say, hey, you are running headlong toward a cliff. And, you're gonna, and, 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 and partway down, there's flames and razor blades. And you're going to hit them, you're going to bounce, and then you're going to, you know, there's flame, a pit of flames down there at the bottom. You're going to land on that, but the only problem is you're not going to die. You're going to be hurt real bad, but you're not going to get to die. Man, you know, you got to say something to them because that's how you be of benefit. But Shaul, or Paul here, says something very unique. He says, how can I be of benefit to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? What were they hungry for? Yeah, we can agree the Corinthian church was all jacked up. We can agree with that. Who in here disagrees with that? 
They had some stuff. They had some problems. When you have prostitutes up in the church, how things have drifted a little. Folks are coming in drunk and then can't wait for communion, the Lord's table, so that they can get something to eat and get some more to drink. That's why he said, hey, eat at home. Drink at home. <laughs> you know, don't come in here hungry and thirsty. So, all right, so here's here's the thing. They had some problems. They needed a lot of revelation. They needed a lot of knowledge. They needed a lot of prophecy, and they needed a lot of teaching. Why? Because they were in the formative years of, and I'm doing air quotes, the church, the Kehala, because they got crazy with some stuff. Because we're blending, we're not overwhelming, we're not doing away with the Jewish faith. And I want to be clear about that. We're grafted into them. They're not grafted into into us. They are the faith. So they didn't do away. We didn't do away with any of the Torah. We didn't do away with any of that. I came, Yeshua said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Fulfill in the Hebrew connotation has nothing whatsoever to do with doing away with anything. Now, I'm not saying for you personally, you want to follow Torah, you can. Uh, observe, you want to be observant of the days and all the different things. That's up to you. It's a challenge. It's a real hard challenge. I do some of it. Um, growing, I would say day by day, but not so much. Because if it, he just made crabs taste so good. But I haven't had crabs now in like three or four months, y'all. That's impressive. Could have had me some, but I didn't. Wes, what do you think? Is there hope for me? Nay, <laughs> shocked. They were good-looking crabs, but I turned them down. Anyway, revelation, knowledge, prophecy, or teaching. Can we not agree that we need, I need it. That's why I'm, I'm, I study so hard. That's why I read sometimes the same passages 50 or 60 times. I know that sounds crazy, but 50 or 60 times sometimes. Not because I say, Lord, you're not giving me something. Not because I say, Lord, you, you, uh, there's, a, there's a miracle in the back room. Bless you. Thank you for coming. Amen. Praise God. Uh, we have miracles all around us, folks. So, so here's the thing. Here's, here, let, me, let me say this. Sometimes when I'm reading the Scripture and I'm praying, and any of you have ever come to my house when I'm up in the studio, uh, it could be loud up in there because I'll crank my music. I'll, I mean crank my music. It's loud. Sometimes I can't even hear anything. Nothing at all. It's so loud. My dog Buckeye gets up from her little bed. She lays next to me most of my shows. Uh, she will get up off of her bed and go, "Ooh, Daddy, that's loud. You need to get me some earphones." You know? Yeah, she will get up and walk out. But I'll be lost in this worship. I'll be lost in, and sometimes that scripture. I'll read it the fiftieth time. There it'll be something I never, ever, ever saw in eleven years of seminary. I never ever saw before. And then God will smack me and go, no, I just wanted you to hunger and thirst after me. I make it available to you, but you've got to want it. You've got to want to find it. Anyway, so sometimes I need it. I need that. I can't come bring you something if I don't have something. Some revelation. Revelation is what? It's something you didn't know before. Or even part of revelation is clarification of something you knew. You read it a gazillion times. Right? But where did it go? Sue in the front says, pressing on her chest. It's Sometimes it's right there. And you wonder, man, whew, you kind of lose your breath a little bit. You gotta, you, sometimes you get a little tear 
and you say, Lord, whew, you got me on that one. Whew. And you got to catch your breath. You know, you got to catch your breath a little bit and say, wow, that's for real. This is for real right here. This is something that I can't deny in the power. Sometimes you tell your friends about it, and sometimes you what? Sometimes you just keep that. That's between you and God. That's between you and God. You're not trying to build your... And that, and, and that brings me to the point. What these folks were doing, we talk a lot about tongues the past several weeks. What these folks were doing was they were like, well, I speak in tongues. I bring tongues. I, I bring it to the church. Y'all are stupid. I don't think they talk like that. Y'all are stupid uh, because you don't get it, because you're dumb, because you're not touched by the Spirit. Like I am, where they get up and they say all this stuff, and they say this is from God, be nobody to interpret, nobody knew what they were saying, but they were using it to build themselves up. Does that happen in the church today? Yes. And it might not be tongues speaking. It might be how we're dressed. Some folks have more and dress. You know, hey, I like to see some folks dressed. I mean, I, that's, hey. Listen, some folks can dress. I mean, I'm not one of them. I try to I try. I try to pull it off, but I I even in my finest clothes, I can't look sharp. But some folks, they put on their clothes and you're like, "Man, you know how to wear some clothes." I can barely pick them out, to be honest with you. Granimals for grown-ups. I think that's I should I should do that. Granimals for grown-ups. I need that. Remember that? Who remembers granimals? I need that so bad. <laughs> Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Anyway, Anyway, how can I be a benefit to you unless I bring some revelation, some knowledge, or prophecy, or teaching? When someone is a great teacher, we have teachers in the room, one of, one of whom retired and the other is teaching now, and I have no doubt is a great teacher. Because the school he teaches at, you, you just don't walk into that school and go, I like to be a teacher here. So who in here has had a great teacher? Anybody? Had a great teacher. I had a great teacher, Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith, believe it or not, that's his real name, Mr. Smith. He's, he's gone to his reward a long time ago. Mr. Smith taught problems of democracy, or shortened POD. And you had to have this in order to graduate unless you, were, uh, you had AP history or something, and you didn't have to take it. But it was the best course at my high school. And I'm telling you, Mr. Smith, every summer he would travel overseas, rush. Imagine in the 80s going to the Russia, going to Russia. He would go to Russia and take thousands of photographs, and he'd put them on these slides. He was a phenomenal photographer. He would put them on these slide projectors and remember that. I'm going to go to the next one. And I'm sometimes I get hung up, and I'd always be the one to try to. I want to fix it because you know I wanted him to like me because he was the best teacher ever in the world. And but Mr. Smith poured himself into his students. He invested himself into his students. That's what Shaul is saying here. How can I be of benefit? I want to be of benefit to you. And I, that means I've got to bring revelation, knowledge, prophecy, or teaching. How many of you, other than, other than talking about me, how many of you have ever sat under incredibly boring teachers? Right? You know? Snooze fest. You're like, man, brother, you could have... Man, you need a pepper or something. You teach because it's it. Uh, so, anyhow, teaching is really, really, really important. It's it's. But you want to be a good teacher. You don't want to be a boring, crappy teacher, right? Can we all agree? So, being of benefit, a crappy teacher. How many of you have had a teacher? This is just for my own edification. That at 
first you thought, not that great. Not that great. But 20 years later, you hear yourself quoting that teacher that you thought to yourself, not that great. Not that great of a teacher. How many of you have been under preaching that at the time, it didn't really blow you away? You didn't, you didn't get that big emotional, bathed-in-the-spirit feeling, but 20 years later, you find you're quoting that fella. You find you remember nuggets of wisdom that person told you in the congregation that you weren't impressed with at the time. But then all of a sudden, somebody has a need, and you reach out to that person in need, and you give them a word that you got from that guy back there that, you know, just for whatever reason didn't resonate with you at the time. Anybody ever have that? I have. I've had that happen. Even, I love this example, uh, to the Jews in the Hebrew culture, music was really important really important. Jews are such innovators, folks. Who, who in here knows the things that the Jews innovate? They have more patents than anywhere in the world. Medical patents. They have medical discoveries. They're on the leading edge of so many things. They're just brilliant minds. They're brilliant minds. They're open to the possibilities. This is what I love. Even with lifeless musical instruments such as a flute or a harp, how will anyone recognize the melody if one note can't be distinguished from another? And if the bugle gives an unclear sound, who will get ready for battle? It's the same with you. How will anyone know what you're saying unless you use your tongue to produce intelligible speech? I love what he says here. You will be talking to the air. There are undoubtedly all kinds of sounds in the world, and none is altogether meaningless. But if I don't know what a person's sounds means, mean, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. Likewise with you. Since you eagerly seek the things of the Spirit, seek especially what will help in edifying the congregation. Paul was a master at complimenting through instruction. Hey, man, since you eagerly seek the things of the Spirit, hey, since you're plugged in, since you want to be blessed by God through blessing His people, and thereby blessing him, since you are eager to do that, I know you'll want to edify the congregation. He puts things where he, he gives instruction for sure, but he lifts them up at the same time. He starts with a compliment. He says, hey, you could be doing this. Now, is Paul afraid to call it? Oh, he ain't afraid. He's not afraid at all, y'all. He is not afraid even a little bit. But in this case, he's at the church and he's saying, come on. Come on, you can do this. You can do this. Now, we're going to see in some of our studies later on, he gets tougher. He gets right to the point. Now, I'm going to go back to something. You will be talking to the air. It's the same with It's the same with you. How will anyone know what you're saying unless you use your tongue to produce intelligible speech? I heard 
uh, an illustration. Uh, years ago, years ago, I was I was in I think my undergrad, and I remember um, I, I'm a huge Billy Graham fan, huge Billy Graham fan. Uh, Billy Graham and I don't share some of the same um, some of our style and I guess our beliefs uh, to some degree are not not that they're not compatible. We just we don't think the same way about some stuff. But the man has transformed the world through completely yielding to God and saying, I don't care what it costs me, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell of this wonderful great news to every corner of the world that they'll let me. He tells a story about when he, well actually Franklin told this story, this didn't come directly, this was about his dad, but his dad didn't tell the story, Franklin told the story about his dad, where he was in a foreign country, like uh, it was like um, an African country, but it was you know, in Africa, there's hundreds of different dialects, and there, you could you could go ten miles and not understand a word those people are saying. So he went to this main area, and and the the interpreter came, and he said, "Hello, you know, I'm here to interpret for you. Uh, you know, I want to practice, and so you say this, that, and the other, and we will." Um, you know, I'll pause. You pause. I will speak. And then you speak a little bit, I'll speak, but don't speak too long because I'll forget what you said. Um, so, you know, this is how we'll do it. And he says, okay. He says, tell me again the, the language that you, you speak. Well, I'm an expert in, and he said the language. He said, he turns around and George Beverly Shea, who was, they were very, very close. All, all of them on that team were very, very close. He turns around to George Beverly Shea and he says, is this the language that these people speak? And uh, he says, they wouldn't understand a word this fellow's saying, or you. What are we going to do? He said, we'll trust God. We'll trust God. There was an hour and 20 minutes before they were supposed to start. He said, we'll trust God. We're going to pray. They get about seven minutes before. You know how Billy Graham always, they always had the big choirs and all that stuff. They had an African-style choir and, and all this. And those were very beautiful, with beautiful harmonies. And then they had the Christian choirs, you know, singing songs that the people in the audience were clapping. I have no idea what you're saying, you know, but it's so beautiful. Wow, you know. Uh, and just a few minutes, about five minutes before a little diminutive man, very poor, you could tell he was very poor, walks up to the edge of the stage where there's steps going down either side. And, then, you know, I mean, you just don't walk up there, but he did. And I guess he was so diminutive that nobody thought, oh, you know, they shouldn't be able to approach the stage like this, not the steps. He says, I can speak your language, the language you seek. So one of the assistants, who was kind of right around there, goes down and says, well, how do you know that we don't have an interpreter already? He says, I don't know. I just know God tell me to come and tell you. I can speak the language. They speak from you. I hear you and I tell them. And he turns around and a tear is falling down Billy Graham's face. Because he prayed and he trusted 
he knew God would give him the words, the revelation. They knew He knew he would give him the words to say he just needed the revelation, the translation. And he trusted God five minutes before this huge gathering, tens of thousands of people. And he just and nothing was spoken. The stagehand turned. Those at home can't see, but he he's he's facing this little diminutive, obviously poverty stricken man, who you would never think could translate from English. And he he's talking to the man, and he turns to Billy, and there's a tear coming down Billy's. And Billy Graham says, comes up on stage, and the music starts, and he leans over, and he says. Have you ever used a microphone? And the man says, What is microphone? And he points to it and he says, It makes it loud. You have to hold it right here. He says, Okay, okay, okay. And he held it just with a death grip. And Billy is speaking and speaking and speaking, preaching, and sweat's just pouring off. It's a hundred million degrees in Africa. And and he, it's Africa hot in Africa, y'all. And he finishes, and he sees, as he's going, he's not paying a lot of attention to this man, but this man is speaking with such fervor. It's as though it's coming from him, but he's interpreting and translating what Billy is saying in English to his tongue and speaking it to the crowd beautifully and passionately. And towards the end, about time for the altar call, he turns to the man and he looks down. And the man's got his hands to heaven. And he's receiving Christ at that moment. The microphone is in his hand. He's not speaking now. Billy has been speaking for several minutes with no translator, yet, yet thousands of these African people stream to the front. Billy leans over to the man and says, are you okay? He says, I received the Jesus. Afterward, they found out this man wasn't even saved. He'd never heard the gospel. As Billy Graham is speaking to this crowd and he's translating, it's going in through this ear, down to his heart, and out of his mouth. Like no other words in his life. And he's speaking passionately. And as thousands are being transformed... And being saved for Yeshua, this man was saved in that moment. Now you tell me, you travel all over the globe preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You go all over the globe and you speak to world leaders. Billy Graham has spoken to more presidents than any, any person on earth had personal counsel with presidents. He is an important man. His programs are squared away. There are tens of thousands of volunteers. There is protocol. There is all these things. And yet this little African man walks past all of the ropes and stands so diminutive at the steps 
And the stage guy goes over and says, how did you know? And he didn't know. But he was available, something in his spirit. And as he's receiving the words in English from Billy Graham, he is transformed as those words go in his ear down to his heart. Hallelujah. Praise God we serve a living God. He can transform nations. He can transform. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the tongue that you speak. Listen, folks, the Bible, the Gideon Society is one of the most amazing organizations ever. There's some stuff I'm not all that jazzed about, but let me tell you what. They'll do anything to put the Bible in any language that they possibly can. It doesn't matter how many people. If we can get it printed and we can get it there, translated in their language, we will send it. That, my friends, is amazing. That is the power of God. But what if Billy Graham, what if that little man hadn't been moved by a God he just was introduced to? He just moved in him. What if the man said, no, I, I'm not going to go that. Look at this big man, this big famous man from the other side of the world. Who am I? What if he didn't? What happens then? And yet God provided. And yet God provided. But it's important for us in this church, in this day, and all across America and all across the globe, we have to remember the purpose of what we do when we come into the kehala, the worship, the, the, the studying of God and his scriptures, we have to, this whole tongues thing Paul is saying here, Shaul is saying here, if they don't understand you, you're just talking to the air. Talking to the air. Therefore, someone who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit does pray, but my mind is unproductive. So what about it? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. Anybody in here ever be praying and you don't realize that you're praying and you, you're lost? Maybe you're in a room, there's other people, but God touches you in a moment. And before, when you say, well, I'll wait till I get in my car, Lord, bless you. I'll wait till I get in my car, Lord. Oh, no, they are not. Are they chiclets? I did not even know chiclets still existed, y'all. No, I, I mean, I don't want one. I got braces and all, but if my orthodontist hears that I'm eating chiclets, good lands. Because, you know, I'm vulnerable in that chair this Thursday. I'm going to be in that chair tilted all the way back. He could be mean to me. But have you ever have you ever been in a group of people and the Lord just it doesn't have to be a church, it could be a secular gathering, and suddenly the Lord puts somebody on your heart. He puts somebody on your heart and he's and he and he just moves you, the spirit moves you. And before all those times you might have said, I'm Lord, I'm gonna wait till I get out to the car. I'm gonna wait to get out to the car, get away from these people, you know, so I can really focus. But instead, you don't make a big deal of it. You just close your eyes, and you bow your head, and you start praying. And all of a sudden, those distractions you thought would distract you from communicating with the Holy Spirit are gone. And before long, you open your eyes, and you turn around and look, 
and there's no folks around you. Or this has happened to me. This has happened to me personally. I've opened my eyes, and there have been other people at a secular gathering praying around me. At a secular gathering. Not a faith-based gathering. And people saw me praying. I didn't I didn't know I was praying. I mean, I, I, it hit me, and I, I got to pray for this or that. And I prayed. I didn't make a big deal, didn't say anything out loud. But all of a sudden, when I opened my eyes, there's other people praying. Folks, that's powerful stuff. That's crazy powerful stuff. That's how he works. But listen, if I'd have started praying out loud, if I'd have started praying out loud and I wouldn't make any sense, what would what would happen to those people? What would they do? They think I was cray cray. They think I was cray. Therefore, someone who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit does pray, but my mind is unproductive. So what about it? Pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. What is he saying here? What is he saying here? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. What the radio folks don't know is is when we go off the air, we sing. Steve uh, gets his violin and we sing. We sing some of the old hymns. And boy, is it fun. I love it. I love, love, love it. Beautiful hymns. Hymns based on not on feeling, but on Scripture. It's like praying Scripture. It's absolutely phenomenal. But I will, nothing against uh, praise songs, but just it's just a cool thing that we do here. But I'll also sing with my mind. Otherwise, if you are giving thanks with your spirit, how will someone who has not yet received much instruction be able to say amen when you have finished giving thanks, since he doesn't know what you're saying? That seems kind of practical, doesn't it? Because folks were coming into this kehalah that Shaul was speaking to the Corinthian church, and they were coming in, and some of them had no clue. Some of them had never experienced worship. Some of them had never experienced the teaching that they were hearing. Some of them had never, uh, they never had to do anything like this in secret. They weren't part of this group that they had to, they had to experience all these things, all these new things. They didn't know what to do. You know what? I'll say this. I don't know that we know what to do. Why do I say that? I say that because, you know, there's, there's, I talked about this uh, on my radio show. Whoever caught the first hour radio show last week heard a guy named Mark Kerr. Wasn't he great? He was fantastic. Of course, the second hour, Elizabeth Letzwork, she, she blows it out the door every time. She is amazing. Um, but Mark talked about this organization, the Center for Self-Governance. And when he was talking about it, he talked about just the church and I and we kind of got back and forth, uh, and we talked about how the church is changing. The church has disconnected from politics. The name of what I do is the the uh, collision of faith and politics. Jerry Jerry thought of that term, that what well, I I thought of some weak name like the intersection of faith and politics, but he was like, no, I call it a collision. That's that's what you want to do. You call it a collision. It's an action word. And I was like, well, I like it. He's a marketing guy. <laughs> so I took his advice because I'm not stupid. I'm not that stupid. So anyway, so the bottom line is, is we're going back and forth, and we were talking about 
The pow- Listen, churches, 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 churches. Folks, if you're ever in a church and the pastor says, I don't get involved in politics. Folks, politics and religion are inexorably linked. And if, you're, if your religion is so skewed that your politics are so whacked, then you're never going to find your way unless someone comes in, prophesies, reveals, gives you knowledge, and teaches, because you're going to be lost. And if someone, their politics are so out of whack, they seem so normal in their faith. That's why I don't understand. I don't understand Barack Obama. I just don't understand this man. I do understand him. I'm saying this for effect. I do understand him. He's evil. We'll deal with that. But he is evil. And and but but he it, he is one of the first things he did when he when he got elected into office was push for the Born Alive Act. To let a child lay on a steel slab that's been born a failed abortion. They're born, leave them with no palliative care, not even a blanket. For four hours, if they die in four hours, there it was a successful abortion. If they live, there was no abortion that took place. This man is for this. This man is for post-birth abortions. You can't tell me the man's a Christian. You can't tell me this. You cannot tell me this. People say, well, I have to trust him. I have to believe him. Why? Everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. Have we heard him say anything? Oh, wait, we did hear him say something that was true. He said, I'm going to fundamentally transform America. Has he done that? Yes, he has. He said he's going to try to break the backs of the coal industry. He's going to try to drive them out of business. I'll have you know, there's 20,000 fewer coal workers in Pennsylvania and West Virginia right now because of that. So, yeah, he does keep some of his promises. What is it? Uh, When is Bibi Netanyahu speaking? This week? March 3rd, they moved it to March. Let me tell you what, you want to get on C-SPAN or whatever is playing that, bless you. You want to get on whatever it is, you want to set your DVR, you want to listen what this man has to say. He's a powerful dude. He's a powerful dude. Anyway, all that said, to say this. I want I to say this a little slower because I went a little too fast. Therefore, someone who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit does pray. Listen, he's not saying, folks, he's not saying, look, th- that you're invalid, that, that this is fake, that this is a joke, that this is, you're pretending. He does, he's not saying, look, everybody is is, is trying to get uh, accolade for themselves. He's not saying that. He's saying, hey, some of you are genuinely in the spirit. But listen, folks, you got to, we got to, we're here together. We're here together, and we've got to help each other. And if I don't have an idea of what you're saying, and there's nobody here to interpret, we're in a pickle. We're in a hot mess. That's why, I, on the one hand, I love when we have our screen, and I do the presentations, and we put the scripture up. But I'll tell you what I love more than anything is looking out into the audience and seeing all the open Bibles or the iPads or the phones that are to the Bible apps. I'm telling myself that I'm not boring everybody to death so they're not on Facebook or playing that Candy Crush. I got in, I got I get invitations all the time for Candy Crush. I don't even know what it is. But it must be great because there's a lot of people that play it. I don't even know what it is, but something. But it says candy, so it's got to be something good to it. But anyway, so the thing is, folks, my spirit does pray, but my mind is unproductive. 
in our worship and in our study, don't we want to be productive? Isn't there, isn't there a value to productivity? You wouldn't believe that based on the, this administration. This administration, in my book I talk about this, and, and, you know, listen, being unproductive and lazy is a thing of the left. The problem is we have adopted it on the right. There are some folks that claim, I wish they'd hush about being a conservative, because they're the laziest salts you ever saw in your life. Being a conservative, keep that quiet. Shut up about being a, a Christian. I talk about this in my book. Listen, the Christian should be the hardest worker in any job. They don't have to be the best worker because you know what? You can't know everything. But you darn sure better be the best worker. You better be the most on time. You better be the most reliable. You better be the most trustworthy. You better be that person because you're a Christian. Yeah, Christians don't work. My dad had a saying, you know, before he was saved. And he even would use it afterwards, and I liked it. He would, uh, if if one of us, you know, he knew we're Christians, or my sister-in-law, he knew, knew she was a Christian. Uh, if she said something, you know, said a said a swear word or something to him because he was picking on her, he would say, "Oh, oh, all we're Christian soldiers, all we're Christian soldiers," you know, right? Because he's saying, "Hey, you're supposed to be a Christian. Christians aren't perfect; they're just forgiven." We're in the process of being perfect. Paul's not slamming these people. He's saying, hey, you know, do your thing, but do your thing within the scope of productivity, being productive within the Kehillah. Paul saw what this was going to become. Can you imagine being a leader in the church when you were the ones that were holding the coats for stoning of Stephen? Can you imagine how what a turnaround? Tell me God's not doing miracles. That's why when I see somebody that, that has just, their life was off the rails and they've come to Christ and, and, and they've truly come to Christ, changed everything that they do. Not They're not trying to be a holy roller or holier than that, but they've changed everything they do. And they're still working on their language because I don't have the cleanest language in the whole world either. I, I was in the Navy, y'all, a police officer and stuff. So pray for me. So here's the thing. You know, this per, you ever see a person like that, that... uh it's just, you know, God took this person and flipped. But in order for God to flip you and to change you into this person, what do you have to do? You have to listen, and then you have to do it. You have to be productive. This little man, remember the little man I told you about? They're right there in the front right there. This little man that was interpreting, you know what they found afterwards? He never translated in his life. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm going to go back. This is not the interpreter or translator in Mandela's. Remember that guy? He's certifiably crazy. The dude, the dude was literally certifiably crazy. He, he was, you know, cray, cray, nuts. And he's this close to the President of the United States and all these other world leaders. Come on, y'all. And he's doing all this, you know, jumping around and... You know, and, and, and the American Sign Language people are like, that's not sign language. And afterward, they interview the guy, and it turns out he's crazy. Certifiable, for real. Institutionalized and everything. But, 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 this little man that came up, this little African fella that came up, can you imagine having never looked out into a sea of tens of thousands of people? 
and you're approaching one of the world's most well, – listen, when you're in a village in Africa and you know who Billy Graham is and you're all excited that Billy Graham is coming to your where you're from, Billy Graham's a pretty big deal when that's the case. He had the nerve to walk past all the little ropes and all the little gates and walk, work his way over. The Lord spoke to him. He answered, and then he was productive. He acted upon what the Lord gave him. And I like to think that fella was in the process of being saved even at that moment. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Can you imagine? Can you imagine turning your eyes upon Jesus, that which you don't even know who he is? You're hearing about it the first time when the world's greatest preacher, greatest evangelist of all time, is saying English words and you're not even a professional translator and you're hearing it and you're being transformed and it's coming out with passion and you're being saved in your soul. You have to be productive. If that fellow heard from God, from whom he didn't really even know who he was, they say even the rocks cry out. And he heard and he did. He could have easily been carted off by security. But he wasn't. Somehow, he made his way of the stage of one of the world's greatest evangelists that the world has ever known. And he, through his productivity in listening to the Spirit of the living God speaking through him, and the conduit of Billy Graham, in the process of leading, ten, uh, there were thousands of people that came forward. They extended it two or three nights. But it's funny, at the end, when all of the fewer died down and all the people have been counseled and, and all this stuff, Billy Graham, drenched in sweat, still wearing a suit, drenched in sweat, goes over and prays with the little man and hugs him. And he says, I find Jesus tonight. He says, have you ever done this before? Have you ever translated before? He goes, no, never. How then? What happened? How did this happen? And he says, your God spoke to me. My God spoke to me. And I listen. And I do. Productivity. Listen, folks, we can, we can talk and talk and talk. And, and, you know, we talk about tongues. I talk about time. I'm not anti-tongues. I want you to understand, I'm not anti-tongues. But I want you to understand, I want you to understand, there's some folks in the church, we talked about this on uh, my interview with Joe Messina, I think last Friday, on the Real Side Radio Show. I said, you know, people have this church talk. It's, it's this, it's this uh, uh, you know, so godly, they use, just, they use these church words, and they dress themselves in them. They cloak themselves in them, so that you see, hey, I'm a churchy person. I, look, I dress the part. I wear the hair. I've got the look. I've toting my my Bible. You know, and I'm and I'm I'm churchy. Listen to the words I'm saying. You hear what I'm saying? And sometimes folks have never been in a church. Yes, believe it or not, there are people in this United States of America never been in a church. Lots of people, and they hear you, and they're like, I don't know. All that does is alienate them. Talk real. 
I had a, a prominent pastor, uh, really concerned. It seemed he said, "We've only got three minutes left," but he he said, "Brother Sean, you got to help me, man. If you can help me, please help me. I, my ministry is flat. Uh, I I spend hours and hours and hours preaching or preparing to preach, just." 40 hours a week just pouring myself into it. I said, brother, you need to be a, if you're doing that, you need to be a, uh, a, you need to teach in a seminary. You need to teach preachers how to prepare. Because if people are hearing you, let me just tell you this. It's not you speaking. It's got to be the Lord speaking through you. It's got to be it's got to be Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit speaking through you and and through your intense study and you pour it out to the people in a language they can understand. And I said I've listened to probably 30 hours of your preaching and it's phenomenal. You're a brilliant man, one of the most brilliant preachers I've ever heard. But you're preaching to country folk and you are preaching so far over the vocabulary, and so far, you, you're beautifully presented. You're beautifully, oh, it's just gorgeous to hear you preach. Uh, you know. But then when I hear you pray, I said, Brother, I've known you since you were 12. I know you don't preach like that, and I know you don't, I know you don't speak like that, and I know that when you speak to God, He knows that's not how you talk. Where in the world did you learn to talk like that? I said, pray in the words that God knows are real to you. And remember, pray in a language. Preach in a language that your audience will understand. Amen. Dr. Greener returns next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And in the meantime, he'll be working to restore your freedom and your liberty. He will engage in the collision of faith and politics for you and with you. In the meantime, remember to follow him on Twitter at Eminorquietis. That's E-M-I-N-O-R-Q-U-I-E-T-I-S. That's Latin for quiet menace. And follow him on Facebook. Dr. Greener's controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, is available on Amazon and at other fine booksellers. Or you can get a copy directly through his website, www.drshawngreener.com, where you can also listen to interviews and speeches and messages free of charge. Show archives are available on iTunes through drshawngreener.com. <laughs> 